So I was diagnosed with HIV when I was 22. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant for me. I had already faced all the stigma that, you know, we go through and the pressures of not being associated with that disease. But I had to learn what it was like to navigate a healthcare system dealing with all these things too. And I think you raised a lot of really important things of how, like, it, it's scary. And there's not a lot of information that we get access to as queer people about HIV. It's an old thing. It's not affecting us now. All right, sounds good. You gotta go. Um, so I loved when you said that bars should be the minimum in like what we're doing for queer spaces in this area. As a straight woman, I never thought about that beyond. Um, but I want to know what are some actionable steps as individuals we can take in the city to create more spaces? I mean, I'm not a business owner. I'm not going to be a business owner. But what can I do to help? So what can we do individually as people? How to make that space? That's a good question. And bring it to the attention of the city. I mean, straight away, it's supporting queer businesses. Um, I think a big thing that is difficult for queer people in our community is like we want to see more queer spaces, but it takes queer people to get the resources and support to make that happen. Otherwise, I think we would have seen so many. Uh, but being supporting the ones that already exist, A, uh, going to the queer spaces and events that have drag queens, that have queer artists, that um, are trying to create more of a queer economy, uh, being present at those and supporting those, uh, and just education, uh, knowing what our, our community is facing and what, as other, uh, what other individuals are currently in need of, whether when we talk about transgender people, just acknowledging pronouns and using them correctly and respecting them. Uh, that's just some of the basics that I can think of right now. Awesome. <laughs> Something that, um, based on what Emily just brought up, uh, Danielle Freire, when she ran for city council in Jersey City Heights, we su I, I supported her, I was part of her team. Something that was so impactful is how do we make the campaign make a difference now before we even get into office? And something that she did was she had a fundraising, uh, a, a drag fundraising. Mm -hmm. So that's something that potentially you know we can do in this campaign as well. Yeah, I mean, any person can help bring visibility to yeah. queer artists and queer individuals. Mm -hmm. That's something we can do now. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of queer people who are looking to be supported, whether it's just on social media and mm -hmm. sharing a post. Um, whether it's a queer artist who's launching a small business on Etsy and you buy something. Uh, you just, even in your own businesses, finding ways that you can bring visibility safely to queer people is going to be really impactful. Yeah. Any other? Um, that's my main question. I was like, my last one. No, you're okay. Um, Being not from 
just for the camera. <laughs> so it's basically what have what have you learned? What's your past experiences that has that keeps fueling you to uh, do the activism and the push that you're doing right now? Mm -hmm. I think with a lot of what I care about, it's a lot about queer people and queer communities. I started caring about that really young. I came out when I was 15 and I went to a high school that had 40 people. I was the first person out there and everybody knew. And at the time, I did not like that that was my story and I didn't like that people thought of me that way. and. I don't even know what that way was, but just a way that I didn't feel accepted. Um, but I found how powerful my story was too by getting it out there because I was able to meet people who actually did accept me and care about me. And when I came here, I think I kind of, I felt that same sense of not belonging. And I really wanted to continue on what I knew would help me and help me feel powerful, which is just letting my story out there and letting everybody know who I am and how I feel and what's affecting me because people want to help and people want to be there for you. And so the more I've done it, I've found that people want to help and be there for me. So I really have, I've had to practice to continue being honest with everybody, with being authentic, with really just letting it all out because it, it helps in the long run. Awesome. Uh, anybody else has a question? You or no? I thought you were saying up. <laughs> yeah. So are you guys all Stevens or are you from Hudson County? Both. Both? Okay. So would you speak on your experience being from here and in what? kind of inconvenient in terms of the access I have with plenty of resources, whether that be uh, sexual health oriented, or even just like finding a community, like you mentioned, there are no gay bars in Hoboken. I have to traverse an hour and 20 minutes to Bed-Stuy or Ridgewood in Brooklyn and like come back at ungodly hours of night. Um, so leading into that, I was just gonna ask, like I've had plenty of HIV scares, um, and in my five years of living in Hoboken, every single time I had to go to either Manhattan or Brooklyn, um, which obviously was not great. Mm -hmm. So like what attention do you think should be redirected in terms of bringing more accessible sexual health testing and stuff like that to mm -hmm. our county? I think what that's, do we do as individuals? That's a really, really good question. So I was diagnosed with HIV when I was 22. And at the time I had no idea what that meant for me. I had already faced all the stigma that, you know, we go through and the pressures of not being associated with that disease, but I had to learn what it was like to navigate a healthcare system dealing with all these things too. And I think you raised a lot of really important things of how, like, it, it's scary and there's not a lot of information that we get access to as queer people about HIV. It's an old thing. It's not affecting us now, um, but it's still here. And even at Stevens, we didn't have HIV testing available until about a few months ago. 
you had to either go to the hospital here, go to the emergency room, you had to find some uh, health center in New York where you could get tested, and that in itself is going to be limiting. That's going to make it even scarier. And so making this something that we can talk about, making it something that people don't have to be afraid of, that it's not something that anybody should be ashamed of. We live in a world with disease, and we're going to have to accept that. Um, so to your question of what can we do more, it's allowing employers to have better conversations about what access they're going to provide their employees in relation to HIV, uh, what schools are going to do to provide testing and education and up-to-date information. Um, it's New Jersey decriminalizing HIV. It shouldn't be a law that people have to go to jail because they pass HIV to somebody and they may not have known. So there's a lot around this disease that scares people and makes it feel like they don't want that to be part of their story. But for, I mean, it is okay. It's gonna be okay. And, but it does take us doing a lot more. And, and uh, thank you for that question. The, the county level of government is very obscure. How many people here, raise your hands, know what the county government does? don't sort of we've had conversations <laughs> but uh one of the things for example and the impact that the, the county government can have on, on on treatment on support uh for the hiv uh you know disease and, and the attention that this needs is with the covid pandemic they were, they were able to put put a center for testing Big mistake is that they made the center for testing in Sea Caucus where you can only access it by driving. And then if you don't own a car, if you need a tra public transportation to move around, it's not accessible for everyone. But we see that there are those capabilities to ha provide that service and provide those, that support uh, at, uh, for this uh, on the healthcare side. Uh, I, and, I, and I appreciate the, the call out because that's something we should definitely fight for. Thanks. You can, you, you, you're good at uh, steering oh, the question, okay. so you can go ahead. <laughs> so then, um, I guess if you're, are you, so are you guys students? What is your role? You're just friends coming in. Right. When, have you spent time in Hoboken before? Like more than just a night out, or even just a night out in Hoboken? Or, yeah. Has there anything, have you felt welcomed in the community in Hoboken or Jersey? <laughs> uh, so one thing that one experience that comes to mind and it's not aimed at me specifically like I'm a bisexual woman um, I'm Latina uh, but back when you know everything around George Floyd was happening Hoboken had like marches going on and things like that you know overall like prior to that like Hoboken it, it is pretty progressive I know things like that but attending and, and being around that and sort of seeing some attitudes and, and seeing some folks at, at the end when things were all wrapped up and there was like sort of an expectation that riots and, and whatnot were going to 
supportive communities, or do you still feel like, yeah, I don't word this right, do you feel like it's just surface, like that this like caring, this is kind of a difficult question, but this like care, was that performative? Performative. Do you feel performative, or do you think that there needs to be a space that's more genuine, like these, like these types of conversations going on? I think there could be more spaces like this, yes. Since that experience, I do sort of like take a step back and observe and feel like it does come across as yes, performative. I think there are different walks of life, right? So some people don't experience the things that we experience. I mean, when I was, while I was undocumented, I was cleaning houses in Hoboken. Uh, and the people who I would clean houses for, they have a lot of money. And I was open with them, like, this is why I'm working cleaning houses. And I would dress like this to clean houses because that's what my dad taught me when I was younger. I was like, you know, for him it was like, you know, the work that you do doesn't determine the way that you appear. You know, you want to appear a certain way, this is what you dress, this is what you want to dress like. Um, but until they actually saw me, like, put a face to what that life or that status looks like, uh, that's when they were saying, like, oh, like, there's real people that are undocumented immigrants. So I think that bringing more of these faces to life and getting more people to see it and getting more people to experience it, uh, it, it, it helps bring that uh, support to another level. And in those occasions that it may be performative, uh, it can be, can be more real, more permanent. We're good. Any other questions, comments, concerns? I see you thinking, Chris. But. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everyone. And we, we can continue to talk off camera as well. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you.